0: Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. This series of 20 Not Something is sponsored by Swirls and Curls, your go-to luxury baked goods brand. Any of you who know me well will understand my infatuation with cakes and cookies, but what's even more impressive is when a brand can deliver top-quality first-class products which still taste fresh and delicious with a warm home-baked touch. Swells & Curls is a small business run by the lovely Kirsty, and her beautifully decorated cakes and sugar cookies are the perfect gift for a partner, friend, family member, or for just treating yourself. They are incredible value for money, look fantastic and taste even better. Head over to Swells and Curls on Instagram to feast your eyes and stomachs on their wide range of products and go and spoil yourselves and your loved ones this month with some truly tasty treats. Today I am joined by Capital Radio presenter Will Manning. Will started off his 20s studying radio at the University of Westminster. Having been involved in the world of radio throughout his teenage years, it seemed like the next logical step. However, after being dropped by the BBC just before uni, Will was looking for his next opportunity to get involved in the industry he was so passionate about. Spurred on by his love for the format and his chatty personality, Will landed a job working the Hits Radio Sunday night show, and upon graduating, then covered his first weekend show on Kiss FM. By his mid-twenties, Will was presenting the number one evening show on KISS and a year later was poached by Capital Radio. It was a big move, but a truly exciting one, and Will's infectious personality combined with his ability to chat to anyone and everyone meant that he went from strength to strength. Will spent the next five years at Capital, working various slots from the London Drive show, the UK's biggest chart show and the Capital Mid-Mornings. Over the years, Will has since interviewed some of the biggest artists in the world, from Billie Eilish to Little Mix, and his thriving career has led to a very busy lifestyle, which he refuses to let catch up with him. Though you may wonder why he is featuring on a podcast meant for 20 not-somethings, Will's 20s journey is evidence that if you are passionate enough about something, then it is totally within your power to go out and get it. Will Manning, welcome to 20
1: not-something. I'm blushing at the moment. <laughs> I, that was the nicest introduction I've ever had. That was so Aww. nice. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, I did all those things. That was really lovely. <laughs> Thank you. And you've got a really nice voice. Oh, thanks hi by the way thank you for having hi. me hi <laughs> no worries how are you yeah I'm really good I'm really good I'm excited to talk to you this is gonna be oh, fun good
0: yeah I'm excited to go uh listen to all of your stories from your 20s because I'm sure you've got a lot of them oh,
1: um okay get- <laughs> Things. things
0: yeah, <laughs> that is always with the 20s. It's all a bit of a blur, isn't it? I mean, I'm halfway yeah. through mine. I don't even remember where I was three years ago. So yeah. there you go. It's all merging.
1: <laughs> it is all merging. I'm at the end of it now, nearly. But it's, uh, yeah, it's like one big merge of mess. <laughs> but well, yeah, let's divulge.
0: So when you were looking into your 20s decade, what was the one thing that you wanted the most? Can you remember?
1: The one thing I wanted the most was a radio show. It's all I wanted, is <laughs> just a radio show. And uh, that worked. Um, (laughs) 1000% worked out. Yeah, all all I really wanted was, like you said, because I was dropped by the BBC um, at quite a young age. And I kind of thought, oh my God, my career's over. And everyone was like, it's not even started, you're 15. Mm. Um, So I was like, okay, if if I get a radio show again, then I'll be really, really happy. Because that's all I actually ever wanted to do was just do radio, just have a radio show. So, um, yeah, looking at my 20s, that, that's, that's the one thing I wanted. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, being 29, I've, <laughs> I've, I've been able to do that.
0: That's awesome. How was um, that drop from the BBC? Because I think when you're faced with that sort of thing so young as well, like being 15, it can either, you know, really set you back or really motivate you. What was that like?
1: It was both it was a major, major setback because I thought that if the BBC had dropped me already, then what hope was there? Like well, I wasn't really aware of the commercial world as much and I didn't have an in to the commercial world. The only in I had was working at the Beeb. And I thought, if they don't want me, then if the highest people don't want me, what, what do I do? Um, so it took a lot of self-belief and determination to get myself back there and a lot of conversations with peers in the industry that I've made Mm. um through DJing and my short time at the at the radio station the BBC to 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 sort of reassure me that look this is what the media industry is about it's all about the knockbacks and how you pick yourself up but being my first slot being my first on the show on the the radio even I hadn't had a knockback before Mm. so it was a huge learning curve um and the first of so so many knockbacks that I've had in 13 years working professionally now I've had so many knockbacks so yeah it's the first one and it was a huge learning curve mm. um, but the, the sort of power of resilience got me through it really and um, yeah. self-belief which is what got me to the BBC in the first place really self-belief so I sort of had to go back to that like how did I get here first right let's use that again to get to the next step.
0: Yeah, we love a good knockback on this show, not going to lie. It keeps us human, keeps us humble. Yeah, (laughs)
1: it's so important because I think there's a lot of people in the industry who have not had many knockbacks because Mm. they are handed things on a plate. And that's fine. However, it makes you such a better and more rounded person if you've had those knockbacks. You can be so much more relatable. You can understand the average member of public so much better if you have Mm. also had huge knockbacks to get to where you are today versus people who just like been at the top of the ladder because of money and power, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you raised it as well. Cause obviously reading off that introduction, you know, for you, I brought it up in the intro, like how are you a 20, not something, but you know, everyone has doubts and everyone goes through things which are really tough. What do you think was the biggest setback of your twenties? doesn't have to be radio related, but
1: yeah. I would. Oh, there's so, okay, so uh, a relationship probably was like mm. a big, a big one that knocked knocked the wind out of my sails for a good s- six eight months, really. Wow. Which is nothing when you consider your twenties being what like a whole nine years. Six months is like a drop in the ocean, but it was like a, a very significant uh, six months, really. That's uh, and, and at a significant time in my life, and I, I didn't expect it, and it really set me back quite a long way, uh, mentally. Um, so I didn't see that coming, In fact, I've had a few breakups. Like if you look at my twenties, if I break it down. Like I think I had one at 21 and there's another one at like 24 maybe. And mm. then one at 28, 27, like quite horribly placed the whole way through. <laughs> um, but the, it was, it was the last one really that I, I sort of really took me back and, and shocked me that mm. I had to learn from the most. And I'm glad I went through that because. I now know how to deal with my mental health so much better because of it. But again, another knockback that I have to learn to work myself through.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. We talk a lot about dating on this podcast um in general oh, and breakups. <laughs> breakups are something which especially in your 20s are just so because it's the first time you've experienced anything like it ever and nobody yeah. warns you for that. And I also think that for your career, you can plan it out. I mean, there's so yeah. much out there about maybe you should plan, maybe you shouldn't. But ultimately, a career you can plan. Falling in love and like getting heartbroken is just like nobody prepares you for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I wish they could because I, I know. would want to some Study choices that i would made. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, have, I actually started to keep a journal about three years ago just to keep up with the dates that I was going on because I wanted to remember all the terrible dates that I'd been on <laughs> and the good ones as well. I met so nice people, but I, I was known for a while to be quite the, the data. My friends were just like, so who is it this week? <sighs> there was always someone new that I was chatting to because I was like on all the apps, What's that's your favourite <laughs> um, for crimes against dating? Um, but yeah, it's been. If I look at my twenties in terms of dating, it's definitely been interesting, and I mm. I really enjoyed that. Actually, I'm glad I I'm glad I've done that. I'm grateful for all the the breakups in a way to allow me to to be single and enjoy that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. So when you graduated uni, then you went on to work at Kiss FM. Yeah, um, tell me a little bit about that. Like, was it a hectic experience? What What was going on?
1: Yeah, so this was this was the moment where I kind of got it back, the mojo back, where I was like, okay, actually, someone huge believes in me again, and that hadn't happened since the BBC. Because the Hits Radio was owned by the same company as Kiss, but it was a small national station. It was me and a few friends kind of, we were messing around. We weren't paid well. We were getting away with murder. No one was really listening to it. It was a really great learning experience. We had the best time. And I learned my craft there amazingly. But Kiss was like, wow, this is Kiss. This is what people listen to. And I listened to that on the school bus. And I would always tell my school friends that that's the station I'm going to end up on one day. And that was the thing that used to laugh at me for. But I was like, trust me, trust me, trust me. And then basically I was recording a hits radio show in the same building as Kiss. And I'd done work experience there the year before. So I thought, I'm going to go and say hi again to the people that I met last year. And the bosses remembered me. They asked what I was up to. And I said, I'm just down the corridor recording for the Hits Radio. And they said, let's hear your stuff. And they heard it. And I think in my head, it was about two weeks later. It was probably a little bit longer. But a a few weeks later, they asked for me to cover a Saturday morning breakfast show. So 6 till 9am, I covered. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm on Kiss FM. This is insane. (laughs) They paid me good money. I was like, I'm on a national radio station that people are actually listening to. I get to play cool music. And it kind of snowballed from there. Then they offered me um, two weekend shows permanently. And I was still living in Manchester where the Hits Radio was doing drive there. So I'd do Monday to Thursday drive on the Hits, pre-record my Friday show, drive down the M6, do my Kiss weekend shows, drive back up Monday morning to Manchester. And I'd do that for about a year and a half mm. until Kiss eventually offered me evenings, 7 till 10pm, which I did for about two years, I think. And then we got that to number one. And, um, yeah, it was a really, really cool, really cool experience because I got to cover the drive show there. I got my first experience of covering a national breakfast show, which was like one of the biggest in London at the time. So, yeah, I definitely learnt my craft and um, I had a great time there. But I was I was at a point where I was ready to leave by the time I got poached by Capital. So everything kind of worked out nicely in terms of timing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, going up and down the most of it, you have to have so much dedication, obviously, to yeah. do what you do. I'm also curious. So, if you're doing the seven till ten in the evening, and then obviously your other shows as well, what what sort of time off do you get? Because it must be hard to like not be socialising when the rest of the world is right.
1: Honestly, the the hours are the thing that broke me working at Kiss. Mm. That's the thing that made me. I mean, I remember crying once before going to work and I was living at my parents Mm. and my mum was like why are you crying you're about to go and do your dream job I'm confused Mm. I was like I'm really miserable because I would get off Oxford Circus and walk one way towards Soho and everybody would be walking the other direction to go home and I never saw anyone I was living at home I had nothing else going on in my day so all I'd do was go to the gym in the morning and then clock watch to about 5pm and be like my, my day starts now and then I'd go and get home at ten thirty, quarter to 11 and I'd just repeat that for like a year mm. and a half and it was a pretty miserable existence at the time um and I tried to fit in my social life at the same time but I was working weekends um I tried to keep a relationship going that was falling apart because I could only go and see her in the evenings by about half 11 and then she'd wake up at like six to work so it was just it was messy so it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't my happiest time. Um so I knew that I didn't want to work in the evenings again. Yeah. That was sure. Cool. Yeah. It was, yeah. Really, it was really tough. And it sounds like, oh my god, Crimea River, you worked three hours on the radio. <laughs> but it's it's a tough, it's a tough slot to do. It really is a tough slot to do. And especially when you're mentally not in a great place. Mm. You've then got to go in and entertain people. It's not a great starting point if you're yeah. a little bit crap.
0: Definitely, definitely. And mental health is such an important thing to raise as well, because I think it's very easy looking I, I guess from the outside looking at you doing that job, many people would think, oh, he's so lucky, like he's got this national um radio show, smashing it. And you were so young as well, early twenties. Yeah. But like ultimately, if you're not happy, then then it doesn't even like resonate with you in the same totally.
1: way. Yeah, I'm not sure how much longer I could have gone on doing that. I think I was just very, very lucky to have got a phone call from Capital to to sort mm. of ask if I wanted to go over. I was thinking about this the other day, how much longer I could have gone on for. I'm not sure. I think I'd have had to sort of say something and Mm. try and get moved to a different show because, Mm. yeah, I I was at the end, really, for that show. So was it
0: quite an easy decision to move to Capital then? Were you ready? It was a
1: very, very (laughs) easy decision. I got the phone call 10 minutes before I was going to go and do an evening show and I thought it was a prank. So I hung up on the guy and he texted me saying... (laughs) google my name and i did and i was like mortified because he was a really really important person at global um he was the guy that basically went out to find talent to then bring them to the station uh, so i was like i'm really sorry and then i went in for a meeting with him and then we had like it was like we were spies because i'd go in for secret meetings in the building and we'd meet up mm. in coffee shops and stuff for a good six months and then i finally told my boss at kiss that i was leaving uh i think i remember at the time he said it would be the worst decision i ever made uh Mm. and it was the best one i ever made so i'm very (laughs) happy i
0: did it that's cool that is good i guess i mean you being in the public eye and anyone on a public platform you are like there is so much pressure on you to say the right thing or not say the wrong thing um and it's a real skill to sort of be able to allude to that confidence and make your audience feel relaxed um Do you still get like nervous when you go out on air thinking how many people are listening to you?
1: I don't ever get nervous on the show. The only times I get nervous are if I'm underprepared, if I'm really not confident in what I'm saying, if I'm really, really hungover or (laughs) I've not had much sleep. So if it's any of those, I'm not setting myself up mentally for a great start to the day. And because I start in the morning as well, I get up at 7, I'm at the office at 8.30, I really have to psych myself up to be like, I I now need to wake up because I'm going to entertain a couple of million people now. Um, So I don't have the luxury of a morning, really, uh, which is fine because most people start work at 9. So, again, cry me a river, Will. But, (laughs) no, I, I I don't feel nervous ever, really, unless it's those factors. The only time I feel nervous is when I'm out of my comfort zone, doing something new for the first time, or if I can actually see the audience. So like if I'm hosting Mm. something, like when I hosted the Jingle Bell Ball at the O2 uh, 2019, I was like, there's there's just 12,000 people out there. And I had to like stop to have just a deep breath moment side of stage, because you can see the people and it's terrifying. But no, radio for me is that I put the mic up and I can just say things and hope they sound good. And normally it's absolutely fine because I've just, it's just like autopilot for me now. I'm just, mm. It's just one of those things that's comes so naturally to me and hopefully, hopefully sounds good when I wing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does. I can testify to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you always been interested in radio then, like from a young age? Because
1: like, it's quite a niche. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird one. It's very geeky. I, um, I became obsessed with it when my mum would drive me to school And we'd have Capital Breakfast on, which at the time was hosted by the legend Chris Tarrant. And I was, I think what I was fascinated by is that people were talking, which felt like to me, through my car, and playing my favourite songs. (laughs) I was like, as if that's a job. And I wasn't even aware, you know, like the thought of money didn't even come into it. I was just like, they're talking, having a laugh and playing music. What a dream. That's what Mm. I want to do. So my dad bought me a karaoke machine for my birthday. You could put a tape in it and record. And I would just um, record myself through the microphone, and then then put the microphone next to the CD player. So the microphone would be by the speaker, picking the music up. And I'd just do my own radio station in my bedroom and oh. just record myself talking in between the music and just practice all the skills that a DJ has now on the radio, like talking up to a vocal on the song, like knowing to stop before it starts and back announcing a song and teasing travel and competitions and stuff like that. I do that at the age of about six and seven in my bedroom for years and years and years. Wow. That's all I did. That was my hobby. (laughs) And just from talking to you. I mean
0: it's a little bit sad. I wasn't gonna say (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm very jealous because I think it's just evidence of the fact that you know you you work so hard at something and you but you love it as well. So it's almost like a natural yeah that's cool. And you do like have this sense of sort of confidence and even when you said that when you're in your early 20s you're saying to my friends like oh I'm I'm gonna be on this show one day where do you think that comes from because that is so hard to have self-belief in yourself even when you know other people might laugh or just be like yeah whatever
1: yeah I, you know what <laughs> no one's ever asked me that I think the honest answer is there was no other option Mm. so I think I was kind of saying it out loud because it's either that or nothing I had no other skill sets I was not like overly academic you know I was fine I was an average student but there was nothing else driving me other than music and radio and I wasn't a musician I played the drums but I was never going to be a musician I can't sing I can't really act that well I can't dance so it was was Mm. always going to be radio in terms of like performing so I think just saying it out loud kind of made me uh it was like an out loud manifestation almost it like yeah. it's like if you say it, it it's gonna happen and i just mm. sort of stuck with that forever and it just yeah. became a real thing like i never honestly thought it would really happen because did you not deep down no, because i i had no idea how i'd ever break into yeah. such a huge industry it's I like i i don't envy anybody now trying to get into the radio i just w- i would not know where to start now i honestly would mm. not know how to start So it was just pure luck, great timing, actually being good at it and and Mm. perseverance that I ended up getting there. But, yeah, when I was saying it out loud, I didn't really believe it. It was the only Mm. option, though. Mm.
0: I was going to ask you as well because I think the timing of your 20s came at a particular age where social media has drastically changed like over the 10 yeah. years so when you were at school you probably had maybe Facebook but that was probably it
1: and my space
0: MySpace, love it MSN yeah. does that class yeah as social media? It, was, sure. it was get
1: home from school we'll chat to you on MSN you know and I was like you know 14 16 that was that was the way we did it and there was no social media at all so I never felt any pressure from that at all so yeah. I'll let you finish your question. no
0: no but that was basically what it was because I think now obviously it's complete other end of the spectrum and you growing your career throughout that time did you ever feel I don't know left behind or like comparing yourselves to other presenters mm. or like yeah, how did that time. affect it
1: big time it's still a struggle I have I'm not a I'm not an influencer I'm not big on social media in terms of my following it's pretty small considering the amount of people that listen to me and i've got Mm. millions of people that listen to me i've got like twenty-four thousand instagram followers that's nothing in, Mm. in the grand scheme of things and then you see other people with x amount and you know i always say it to other people don't compare yourself but of course naturally we do do it and we think what am i doing wrong i um i just i it was it was it is the timing of when those things fell like i wasn't quite on it enough to be Instagram famous. I wasn't on the YouTube hype in the early days to be mm. a big YouTuber. I wasn't young enough to look good on TikTok. It's all these things. But I'm I'm kind of at peace with it because I'm slowly growing my audience in a very natural, organic way. And they're following me for what I do on the show mm-hmm. and my personality. And it's not for anything else. So I know that they're there for a reason. It's not, it's, it, there's no bullshit there, basically. And, and I'm doing it organically. I'm not forcing anything. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy with the small growth that I have on, on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And I, I, I don't compare it anymore because, yeah, I'm not a YouTuber. Yeah, I'm not an Instagram influencer, but I am a national broadcaster on a, the biggest radio station in the UK six days a week. Yeah. And that's enough. That is very, very good. That's good enough, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I love that you say that because I think we we become obsessed with numbers and follows yeah. and likes. And it is really hard because that's what the app is designed to do. It's an addiction. Um, Unfortunately
1: as well, uh, I mean, I'm not going to name brands or anything, but I, we are. I, I am judged on things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: my next paid job outside of radio could come based on my following. And that's shit because mm-hmm. I'm actually really skilled at other things. And I shouldn't be judged and no one should be judged on that Instagram following. You know, that Instagram following will, will grow if you gave me the chance to show you my skills. People yeah. would then want to follow me more. But it's, it's a gift and a curse. And fortunately, I've had so many jobs turned down because like, oh, we'd like to see him grow on Instagram a bit more. Like, cool. Give me the chance to show you what I can do. And then people yeah. will follow me. But how's it ever going to how how am I going to get there unless I can show off my skills?
0: That's so interesting. And I hate that. I hate that that's the world we live in now because it just sets such a bad precedent for people coming into like just growing, going through adolescence in general, that there is this quota that they have to hit to be liked, to be appreciated, to be, you know, successful. And it's bullshit. It's absolutely bullshit. I wish people
1: took more of a risk, really, in in the media. I wish people would just see talent for what it is and not Mm. as a number. Because you could have 2 million followers and you could be the shittest presenter in the world. You can have 20, 20 followers and you could be the next big thing that yeah. they're sleeping on because the following just isn't big enough. And it's,
0: yeah.
1: it's a real shame. It is a real shame. Yeah. I Not that. that I'm bitter, but it has, <laughs> it has stopped me from getting work. And I'm going to be yeah. honest about that.
0: No, I, I rate that. I rate that. Um, Speaking of big followings, you have interviewed some of the biggest acts in the world, really. Um, yeah. Have you ever been starstruck? Except I for right I, now,
1: obviously. <laughs> obviously, you're making me very hot. But other <laughs> oh than God. you, I would say... Uh, so there's people that... I don't think it's starstruck. I think I get nervous about certain people because you. I hear stories from other presenters like, oh, God, oh, be careful with her. Don't say this. Or it's like, oh, my God, she's going to be the next big thing. We need to get the best interview we could ever get. It's like, mm. Jesus Christ, don't put that pressure on me. So I recent, the most recent one I felt nervous about was Olivia Rodrigo. Really? Right? So she's number one in the UK right now. She's 17. It's her first song. And before I interviewed her, I was saying to my producer, I was like, I'm really nervous about this because she's a really big deal. She's got the biggest song in the whole world, like in every single country. And this is her first, one of her first UK interviews. And I felt the pressure to get like some exclusive PR line out of her. She was lovely, and we had a really, really good chat, but I felt pressure on that. Billie Eilish, when I first met her, I was really scared because, again, I heard she was a really tough interview, and she was tough. She put me through my paces. Really? Yeah. Basically, I had to do two interviews with her because I did one for the chart, and then I did one for Capital that was going to get revoiced by another presenter because he couldn't make it. So They were going to chop me out and put him in. So I was like... Did the first one, and it was like, oh, God, okay, I've just about got through that. And I was like, now you're going to do another one with me where I'm going to pretend to be someone else, basically. <laughs> and she was ruthless, like so ruthless. I was in the room with her for a good hour. Um, but the fans absolutely loved the interview because she was so real and just yeah. herself, and I kind of really respected her for that because mm. you don't really get that in the industry. You get people who are very media-trained, say the right thing, you know, look the right way. Billy was just raw and just herself. And then from that, we built a really good friendship of just having great interviews that fans would love. So fan there are fan favorite interviews now with me and Billy do the do the chat. So I, I love speaking to her, but at first I was terrified. Yeah. Taylor Swift, I was nervous about as well when I first first met her. She really scared me because I was quite young at the time um uh other than that not really because I I just try to think of people I try to think of them as people because Mm. I mean they are for a start and I think that's the way you get the most out of them and that's how you make a pop star who lives in LA and has millions of dollars the most relatable person you break them down and bring them onto your level and the listener's level and that's the best way you get something out of them you just speak to them like I'm speaking to you and like you're speaking to me like a mate Mm. in the pub and Strip it you back. kind of get the best out of them that way. Yeah, yeah,
0: so I yeah. Not to get daunted sure. by it, really. Yeah, yeah. it's a good way of looking at it. I think. Yeah. Do you think now that you're looking into your 30s
1: that you oh, I mean, made? I didn't say that. <laughs> no, but you we're know, a big advocate. It, your face, like you're 30, <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. No, but we're a big advocate on this podcast of like 20 is the new 30. Oh, thank
1: God for that. Okay, yeah, good. Like, yeah. Honestly, it is. By the way, I'm going to have a stage age now. So when I turn 30, you won't know about it because I'm suddenly going to revert back to being
0: 24. Oh, 100%. I turned 25 in January, but I'm still 24 because technically 2020 didn't happen. So this is the thing. So actually, technically, I'm still 28. Yeah. 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 You shouldn't even I, be on I, this. I shouldn't have like people that young on this podcast. Yeah, I'll come back. I'll come back <laughs> <Yeah>. next time. <laughs> but um, if you could, do you think that like, if you went back and told 15-year-old Will that you would be interviewing the biggest female pop star, Taylor Swift, I'm just using her as mm. an example because I absolutely love her, but in the yeah. world, what like, do you think he'd believe you?
1: I, I think there's a part of me that would believe it in a cocky way. You're like, mm-hmm. of course you're going to get there. <laughs> Again, back to self-belief because I had to believe it would happen. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. But I think realistically, I'd have been like, No way, and especially if you told me I'd get something like the Chart Show that I talked to them on because you know the Chart Show is just a a radio presenter's dream. As a geek, a radio geek, doing the Chart Show is like (laughs) the best thing you can do. So I I I don't think I'd have believed that. I I would have hoped and dreamed, but I probably wouldn't have believed you if you'd say it happened. No,
0: no. And speaking of the thirties, I know you don't want to, but I I am not a believer of any age. You have to achieve anything by. are you like excited for the future?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that it, because don't... I've been having that conversation with a lot of my friends recently. Because I had a plan, right? I had a life plan when I was don't we that all? <laughs> But at 18. I thought I met the love of my life, and then she broke my heart at 21, um, or it's 22. Anyway, I've forgotten about it. So that's good. Um, <laughs> and I was like, right, going to get married at 29. Uh, no, yeah, married at 29. I'm going to have a first baby at 30 and then like I'm going to be really financially secure and live in a great house by 31. That was the plan. Right. We'll move the baby in. None of that has happened Mm. um, at all. And I'm completely at peace with that. It took me a long time to get there. I think as well, I, I, I struggled because a lot of my friends are pregnant, have babies, engaged or married. Not many of my friends are single right now, unless they're living in London, because London living is just so different with the whole dating scene. But a lot of my home friends are very settled and I mm. felt the pressure to match that. Mm. Um, but my lifestyle is so different to theirs, so I can't compare it. I'm rarely in in the evenings. You know, my hours are unpredictable sometimes outside of my radio show. So I can't compare myself to that. So I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I hope I'm not 45 and single because I would like a family. Um, yeah. But ask me again in three years. Have you back uh, on? Terrifying thought. <laughs> terrifying thought really it
0: is and it's I don't think it's spoken about enough in fairness because there is I think an underlying pressure which society puts on everyone that by yeah that you're supposed to have your shit together and it's yeah. amazing how many people don't and, and I won't
1: wonder, I actually wonder if I will ever have my shit together do you know what I mean like <laughs> I would love to ask my parents I'd love to say to my dad he's got a great job he's worked all his life like say to my dad do you have your shit together? Or have you just blagged this whole thing, like having kids, buying a house, mortgage? Have you blagged it all? Yeah. Because I have blagged every day of my life so far. You know, I'm lucky enough to have bought a flat and, you know, I've got a mortgage and stuff. I've I've blagged my way to this position. Mm. So I don't know if we'll ever have our shit together. And I'm quite okay with that because it's, it's quite fun. (laughs) As long as I can, as long as I can live like this with a family still. And it's, it's, Quite fun, yeah. Not much, whilst trying to manage kids. I'm looking forward it's to, a to recipe for disaster. To... Yeah, it is really, isn't it? Yeah, we should get cameras involved because that'd be a good show. Yeah, that would be
0: a good show. Probably exi- yeah. actually, yeah. how does that not exist already? I work in telly. I'll pitch that. Actually, Do you? It's All right. I'll write the pitch. And,
1: yeah, you can get it. Commissioned. Okay, sweet.
0: <laughs> cool. We're going to go on to play Millennial Minesweeper now. So I've got a few quotes that I'm going to read out to you and they're all about living life in your 20s sometimes but general just like living life quotes um, and we talk about them so okay. our first one is if you're a man there's evidence that you'll drink less work harder and make more money than your single peers if you marry in your 20s say that again if you're a man for some reason it's just about men there's evidence that you'll drink drink less, work harder, and make more money than if you're single peers. If you marry in your twenties, sorry, than your single peers if you marry in your twenties.
1: Well, I, that, that that's not true at all, is it? Complete bullshit, isn't it? That's absolute bullshit. Yeah, because I'm thinking it's... of my life right now, and that literally goes against my life at the moment. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's from um, uh, the Washington Post, and an article called not Now," and the not is spelt K N O T. The benefits Thanks. of marrying, the benefits of marrying in your mid to late twenties. I would really love to know where they got that study from, because like I just that's don't even I'm know. Even how you... that
1: and it's trying to prove that they're doing well, and they're yeah. really not. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. bullshit.
0: Right? Yeah, and also it's so subjective as well. Like, getting married in your twenties does not mean that you're going to be drinking less and working harder and making more money. Definitely not.
1: If anything, less time and drinking more because of the stress. <laughs> the stress That's what I would marriage. say. That's like my mates who have got babies now, they are drinking a shitload to get through it. <laughs> You've got yeah. to see.
0: Hear that? <laughs> okay. Our second one is, everyone should be sacked at least once in their career because perfection doesn't exist.
1: Well, looking back to my BBC story, I can only agree with that. I think without a knockback... And, you know, like I said, the people that are handing things on a plate, you, you just, you have no grasp of reality. So mm. completely, you need the knockbacks to build yourself up and it only makes you stronger. And it's like, you know, breaking up in a relationship. Every time you end a relationship, every time you're broken up with, you know what you don't want next time. So you can just build those foundations to be the, the best form of your yourself. Mm. So you're ready for that thing when it does arrive.
0: Yeah, for sure. And rejection is so hard to deal with. Like it's, it's there to test you and it's... Yeah, it's it's shit at the time, and everyone always says this, and it used to really annoy me. They'd be like, "Oh, there's a reason you didn't get that job. Like, there's a reason that this happened." And I was like, "It doesn't just doesn't feel like that." But after, like, time is the best healer in those situations, yeah, I guess. Sure,
1: sure. Like, I, I found um, a letter that I wrote to Capital. I mean, I was like 11. I was asking to come in and do work experience, and they said no. And now I'm, I do, and it's not really the same, but. I, I love kind of that, myself, you know? <laughs> like used to no know to me 20 years ago and here I am now. It's not the same at all, is it really? But anyway.
0: I mean cool. it kind of works, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our final one is there are two common motivations for comparing yourself to others. One, trying to figure out whether you're doing a good job, and two, trying to make yourself feel better.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally.
0: It was inspired by an article I was reading um because I I constantly compare myself as we all do but I was trying to think of like my motivation behind that and I actually think it is like an innate instinct in us that we constantly look around for reassurance but then yeah it has such a negative impact like because we, we only take the negatives from a comparison I think yeah, of
1: course yeah, yeah yeah thousand percent and I see it with people I look up to I see them. Turn to their peers and their management, comp- uh, uh, you know, team, and, and ask for reassurance. I'm like, God, if you're mm. asking for reassurance, then like, what I, what am I going to do? Where's the hope? Like, we 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 all, it's it's completely within us. Are just going to always just need the are oh, we doing all right? Yeah, okay, good. Just yeah. we just need that. We just do as humans. We're just so needy in that respect. <laughs> I don't think that will ever stop. No. I really don't. I don't. Anyway, because it also keeps you on your toes. It keeps and it keeps you humble. It keeps you, keeps you grounded. Keeps you real. Yeah.
0: And what was <laughs> the other part of that? Well, it was the the two the two reasons for um, comparing yourself is to make yourself. The second one's to make yourself feel better.
1: Yeah. 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 totally. Which
0: is really sad because I don't know. I just think uh, I hate the idea that someone would look at me. To make themselves feel better like that's horrible mm. but yeah we do it we do it so sort of without thinking
1: yeah i'm wondering if anyone does that to me <laughs>
0: let's
1: find out let's see if anyone says they do after listening to this yeah that'd be interesting <laughs> yeah
0: uh, well thank you so much will for coming on the 20 not something podcast you i welcome. hope you've had fun reminiscing
1: I did I really enjoy it it makes me um yeah it makes me happy to think that actually I managed to do what I wanted to do in my 20s and it wasn't all so bad had a good laugh made the yeah. most of it <laughs> and here's the 30
0: and the yeah the best decades yet to come <laughs> uh, yeah we hope Thanks, Will, for coming on the 20 Not Something podcast. It was so lovely chatting to you and the best way to round off season three. But don't worry, guys, we do have one more final special bonus episode dropping next week with the founder of our wonderful sponsor, Swells and Curls. It's a big episode and one which is extremely close to my heart. So please do tune in to that next week. Finally, a big shout out to our composer and producer, Pete Hath. And a huge thank you to you guys at home for listening. Have a great week and I will see you very soon.